Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast. Very special guest at Move the Sticks, Daniel Jeremiah. Of course, he has his own podcast, the Move the Sticks podcast, along with Bucky Brooks. And DJ, let's dive right into it here. We know you're a fan of the Jets draft, especially in the early part of the rounds. But I want to do a a cross-sport analogy here because Zach Wilson, I've heard the comparison that he's almost like a shortstop under center. So what do you think about that comparison and why is it a good one if you think it is? Yeah, I like it. I, I actually had a conversation with David Cutcliffe about this uh, at Duke, who's one of the best you know, quarterback teachers there is, having you know taught the Mannings coming up and 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 uh, also had Daniel Jones under his tutelage. But guys have gone to him forever with quarterback stuff, and uh, we we talked about kind of where the game was going and what maybe is more important now than it ever was before. And he talked about hand quickness. Like if you think about all the RPO stuff we have. Uh, in the NFL right now, where you just ride it back and then boom, ball comes out. And he said, it's it's like a shortstop. You want shortstops, they all just have, there's just su- super quick hands. If you think of like an Omar Vizquel, you know, some of those great defensive players at that position, uh, Ozzie Smith going back, dating myself a little bit. Uh, but those guys all just had dynamic quick hands for those middle infielders. And I think when you watch Zach Wilson, you see some of those those same things. I tell people, Keep an eye with Zach once his left hand comes off the football and then how quickly the ball is out of his hand. I mean, that to me is what shows you how dynamic he is. Uh, Speaking of a dynamic, what about that arm? Because it seems to not only does he have the quick hands, but it explodes off his hands, doesn't it? Yeah, he's got a strong arm. I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely a plus arm. I mean, I don't think I, I would put it quite in that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen type type arm. But it is definitely in the in the upper echelon, and there's not a throw out there that he can't make. And the crazy thing to me is he can make those throws with so much velocity without even having his feet really in the ground. I mean, you'll see him on the move, both feet up in the air, even in the pocket, similar to Rodgers, where you'll see both feet come up, and then he's able to generate so much torque from his upper half and 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 to be able to get juice on the ball. As a weenie arm quarterback, I know very well how you have to have your feet grounded in order to be able to get as much on it as you can. So I always made sure that I hit my back foot. It was like a crow hop. I mean, I, I was I was planted in the in the uh, in the ground to be able to get all my cleats in there to drive and throw. He didn't need to do that. Do you like that pairing with Mike Lafleur and the system he's going to run the Shanahan system here in New York? Yeah, I think it's the it's look, it's the most quarterback friendly system we have. And that's why you're seeing it uh, all over the league right now. And with some of the movement stuff, some of the boots um, under center play action back to the defense. We've seen Zach do that at BYU. I think he's very comfortable doing that. And I think what it's going to do, it's going to kind of define the field for him. And uh, and it's going to simplify some things for him. So that's what's so great about that offense. And, and, and I think people focus so much on the passing aspect of this offense, but you go back to Mike Shanahan and those Broncos teams. This this offense has always produced good good run game. So when you have a good run game, obviously you know that's gonna that's gonna increase the numbers you're gonna see down in the box. It's gonna simplify your your vision and field uh, view down the field. So that to me is gonna be key. I think they built up the offensive line nicely um, over the last couple off seasons. Done some nice work there. I think this is going to be a team that can really, really run the football. You just mentioned the run game real quick. He's very good with the deception as well, isn't he? Because you know this, that the Jets are going to try to dial some things up down the field after they get that run game going with the play action. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. Well, there was, trust me, as you guys know, there's a lot of things missing from that offense the last couple of years. But explosives, you know, being able to run the ball is what's going to set up your explosive plays down the field. And you want to be able to pay that off 
you know, you're going to run the ball successfully. You don't want to pay that off with a 15-yard gain. You want to be able to pay that off over the top for some big chunk plays. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Zach. He's a he's a really good deep ball thrower. Now you've got two guys on the outside who can go up and get it in, in Corey Davis and Denzel Mims. And now you've got somebody else who can just run away from everybody on the field and Elijah Moore. So um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be watch, fun to watch this whole thing come together. Well, you kind of answered my next question. So let, let me pivot now. You look at day three of the Jets draft, heavy on defense, and the three corners that they selected, Michael Carter II, Jason Pinnock, yeah. and Brandon Eccles, all very good athletes. What do you think about that approach where it seems like, you know what, like we're just going to take a flyer on the athlete and we'll see what happens come training camp? Yeah, I mean, I just remember being in college and you maybe go to the gas station and you get like three scratchers, right? You know, you're hoping that maybe you get five bucks out of that thing um, that you could you could afford to go get some dinner the next night. That's what these are. They're glorified lottery tickets with these defensive players they took on day three. Height, weight, speed, you know, explosive players. Um, they don't have it all figured out just yet, but they can all really, really run. So to me, if, if, if I'm the Jets and one of those dudes ends up hitting, that's that's gravy. Um, I thought they did a nice job of just taking some shots on some kids with not only with traits, but real competitive kids, too. Um, I, and, I, and I like the, you know, Michael Carter, number two. Have you figured out how you guys are calling these guys, by the way? Uh, Michael <laughs> Carter, one, Michael Carter, two. What's the what's the plan? I think the corner will go Carter, too. Yeah. And, yeah. and the running back would just go Carter. Uh, biggest surprise for you in the 2021 draft. You mentioned Elijah Moore before. How shocked were you that he was, was sitting there at the top of the second? And um, how much do you love his versatility? Yeah, he's easy player to love. The more I watched him, the more I liked him. And I just did not think there was any chance he would get out of the first round. And talking to folks kind of in the last couple of weeks, um, everybody seemed to be on him. And, uh, and hey, that's what happens in the draft. Things, you know, a move here or there, a trade here or there. And uh, everything kind of falls out of sequence. And I thought, man, the Jets were the benefactors there. Um, you know, I, to me, it was him and Kadarius Tony were close. I ended up putting him over Kadarius Tony, and then the Giants felt otherwise. So they, they like Kadarius Tony and they pull the trigger on him. Um, but to me, Elijah Moore, I thought, is a little bit more natural hands and a little bit more reliable there. Both guys are, you know, excellent in terms of the ball in their hands. But uh, I thought he was just a little bit better, a little more precise as a route runner and just had a little more. Uh, confidence in his hands there so yeah I was I was a little bit shocked uh, to say the least that he was still there in the second round you know DJ you mentioned before one of the three corners if if the Jets were to hit on one of those guys to be selected in rounds four or five and six excuse me what is hitting on those players mean through a, a scout's eye oh my gosh it's huge it's huge because you're going to get a cheap starter for for you know four years here uh, which is enormous and that's what helps you be able to round out the rest of your roster. And I think that's the other thing that does is once you start to prove you can hit on these players, and Joe knows this from, from all of his years in Baltimore, where you, you're not going to be able to resign all these guys. Then when you when you take a you know fifth round, sixth round guy, he develops into a player, and maybe you don't even sign him to a second contract, but he goes and gets big money elsewhere. Then you get the comp picks, and then you get more picks in this range of the draft, and it's just this wheel, this cycle that just keeps going, and you can really – uh, you know, add that volume. And and that's that's the key to me on day three. You know, if you if you have one team that comes into day three and they've got six picks and another team comes into day three and they've got two picks, the odds are in the favor that the team that gets six shot, shots at it's going to come away with a couple gems. So um, I think having those numbers is huge and, and showing that you can scout and produce players with those picks is huge. 
you know Joe very well. How much did you like his move going up from 23 to 14 and getting Elijah Vera Tucker? With that being said, after you answer that one, what do you think about the potential of that left side of the line with Makai Becton and possibly Vera Tucker to the right of him? Yeah, I know he was he was uh, he was really excited about that and had been thinking about that for a long time. So uh, I was happy for him. I thought Elijah Vera Tucker was one of the cleanest players in the whole draft. You know exactly what you're getting, and in such a, a weird year with not having a combine and not having as much interaction with these players, not having scouts on campus. When you can find safe players in this draft, I think you do get aggressive and and you go get him. Now he could have sat and and maybe tried to you know get something done at maybe it was pick sixteen and at the Cardinals, but I, I admire the fact. Hey, we want him. Let's just where do we need to go to make sure we get him? Let's not take any chances uh, and lock him in. And now when you look at the left side of that line, I know a lot of people are saying, man, you can just run left, run left. The other thing is, in and uh, when you have that type of power. If you want to run right, you have that left side of the line. It's going to be like an avalanche just collapsing down the line of scrimmage, and you're going to have cutbacks for days. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be able to really, really do some things in the run game with those two guys. DJ, last question before we let you go here. Last offseason, we spoke to you before the draft, and you used the analogy for the Jets to jumping in a pool. Joe Douglas was jumping in the pool. You go down to the bottom. You launch yourself up, yeah. and you were focused on this offseason. Now that this offseason is essentially behind us and you look ahead to 2022 as well, what do you think about what Joe Douglas has done and what he's going to be able to do moving forward, not only this year, but next year? Well, I think they've got some foundation pieces, which they didn't really have. And I think these foundation pieces are on the line of scrimmage. When you look at what they've done with these two guys on the offensive line, we just mentioned, you know, you know, one of the one of the jewels that he had on this roster. There weren't a lot, but Quentin Williams has got a chance, and you talk to people around the league, he's got a chance to be the second best defensive tackle in football this year. You know, Aaron Donald, he gets that play, he gets that room all to himself. We're not going to mess with him. But I think Quinnen really has a chance to be that second guy. So you've got some some foundational pieces. Then you go out in free agency and accomplish what they did. Um, you go out and get a big time pass rusher to put on the outside of Quinnen Williams and Carl Lawson. Now, you know, you look on the offense, they've got some weapons. There's still work to be done. And you look on that defense, I think when you look in the secondary, that corner position, uh, hopefully some of those guys hit. But there's still work to be done there. And I think there's some other, another piece or two along that offensive line, maybe a premier tight end. But I feel like the foundation has been laid now, and you're going to start to see the progress here with this football team. Uh, DJ, a hell of a job throughout this draft process. Hopefully you get some rest coming up, and good luck to your Padres. I <laughs> appreciate it, man. We got beat up on the San Francisco Giants for a couple of days here. Great stuff. Always nice having Daniel Jeremiah. Usually we have him on the podcast before the draft. This time we got a draft recap, which is different insight from DJ, but also another fan of the Jets draft. I'm glad you brought that up with him, your last question. I know that resonated with you last year, that the Jets were at the bottom of the pool maybe in 2020. Right. Now they're coming up, and we're seeing that. And he just said it. I think the foundation is being laid. The Jets are certainly have more pieces. They have more talent on this roster, and Joe Douglas has done a fantastic job, I think, navigating throughout this offseason – uh, free agency and the draft. I think we've talked about this before, but wide receiver might be the most improved position. I know pro football focus recently put something out that said the jets have the most revamped receiving core out of all 32 NFL teams. And I think there's definitely an argument to be made when you look at who was on the roster this time last year compared to now, 
Corey Day. I mean, there's like considerable depth there. Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole. That right there is six receivers. And then we get to guys like Braxton Berrios, Vincent, and Jeff Smith. And there's a couple other guys as well who are on this roster. A lot of speed at the wide receiver position, too. Uh, you look at Elijah Moore. He's a sub-4-4 four, four guy. He joins a crew that is sub-4 that includes sub-4-4 four, four that includes uh, Denzel Mims, mm -hmm. both the Smiths that you just mentioned before. It's going to be interesting to see how it, all that shakes out throughout training camp as far as the reps are concerned and also the personnel packages employed by Michael LaFleur. But that was the biggest surprise of the entire 2021 draft class, Daniel Jeremiah said, that Elijah Moore sitting there for the Jets at the top of the second round. That's huge for a young quarterback in Zach Wilson. Yeah, and, and what I liked most about the, the Jets draft, you addressed all three supporting casts that you could up front, out wide in the backfield, Michael Carter in the back, Elijah Moore out wide, Elijah Vera Tucker up front. And it's a good situation. I think that Zach Wilson walks into, and we're going to have a couple more episodes on the draft class, and then we're going to put a bow on it. And then we'll, we'll look ahead, but kind of, I want to focus on what you said. Talk about personnel packages. Let's flip to the defensive side of the ball for a minute here. You think about Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasruddin, playing box safety in college, the Jets turn in the card as a linebacker. So they're going to be linebackers with the Jets. Yeah. They're transitioning. And the and the analogy or the comparison that Coach Sala used, how about Fred Warner at BYU? He said he, he didn't say that either one of those guys would play or become the same player Fred Warner is now in the NFL. Sure. But Fred Warner was mostly an in-space coverage linebacker for BYU and now he's one of the best linebackers in the NFL and he was a third round pick interesting uh anecdote or story I should say from Albert Breer there recently when that was he, cool when he said the Jets coaching staff Robert Sala of course there at the BYU pro day asked him to go up and hug Zach Wilson to see how they compared as far as the heights were concerned but yeah Warner did a lot of good things under Robert Sala but we got great insight on the Jets philosophy at the linebacker position because it's funny I was thinking about the positional previews we did prior to the draft and we talked about Nez uh, Hamza Nasruddin Hamza as uh, safety but the Jets viewed him all along as a uh, outside linebacker much like uh, Jamie and Sherwood and uh, you know Sherwood I would imagine is going to play a lot for the Jets um, Hamza thinks that the Jets got first round value there. And then you look at that position group, how that's improved in the offseason. Jets got a former first round pick in Jared Davis. And also CJ Mosley is on this roster. And Blake Cashman as well. And I think the linebackers room is the most interesting unit because I don't think we really know what to expect. Jared Davis, you look at his track record in Detroit. He's got all the measurables. He's got the speed. Then he gets the reduced role in 2020, but has a better year, many people would say. Then you think about C.J. Mosley, question mark there, because he's essentially played two quarters, two and a half quarters in two years. And then Blake Cashman's been hurt, but when he's healthy, he's one of the fastest players on at the linebacker spot. And then you add these two guys as well. I just think that it's going to be – I'm very fascinated to see what happens in training camp when those guys actually touch the field. Listen, run and hit, right? He wants Salo wants these guys to move very well laterally and and play in space, and and those guys fit that mold. And it all starts for the Jets up front when you run in a four three, and 
uh, like DJ said, Quinnen Williams, you know, as we go ahead with this year, many people might think that he is the second best defensive tackle mm-hmm. in football, and that's great as a start. You had, you had Sheldon Rankins in free agency, a former first-round pick, who can push that pocket as well. Carl Lawson's your headliner on the outside. We talked about him numerous times. Uh, Vinny Curry going to provide some depth there at the edge position. So uh, it all starts up front, and then we got insight in, as far as the philosophy is concerned at the linebacker position. I'd flip it to the offensive side of the ball. We didn't talk to DJ about him, but Michael Carter there at the fourth at the beginning of the fourth round, great value as well. I really wanted to ask DJ if he had more time. He had to go, unfortunately. Everyone talks about Michael Carter not being a burner, but being a good fit for the system. I wonder what he would have thought about LaMichael Pirine in the system, because I think DJ was a fan of LaMichael Pirine, and I think they got similar speed. I'm not saying they have similar skill sets, but everyone is so gung-ho on Michael Carter being such a great fit. And a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with his vision, his patience, his start-stop ability. And I'm just curious what he thinks about P Ryan's fit in this system, because I feel like Michael P Ryan is almost the forgotten running back on the roster. I think it's fair, but if the jets do do this uh, by committee, they have a lot of options. Now, yes. Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, uh, who's done some good things throughout his career. You mentioned, uh, Michael P Ryan, you got Ty Johnson still on this roster, Josh Adams. So you have a lot of options in an offensive backfield. What I like about Carter, that's different than a lot of, college players coming out as he's so adept coming out of the backfield, catching it. And you talk about maybe he doesn't have this great time speed. Well, nobody was as explosive as he was in college football last year in terms of explosive runs. And he also is a sturdy blocker. So you like that entire package. Yeah. I think Michael Carter outside of the first two rounds, I think Michael Carter might've been one of the most popular picks in the draft in terms of where he was selected fit. And I think that he checks a lot of boxes for what the Jets needs. I will say one last thing before we wrap up. The one position or in terms of the draft that we haven't really talked about is the reported undrafted free agents. Yep. And I don't know if, if there's a couple of guys that stand out to you that you want to talk about, but there are some intriguing prospects that are going to be involved in rookie minicamp. And then obviously, you know, every year there are a couple of guys who make the 53 or they join the practice squad and then they get activated later in the year. Well, I'll just look at position groups. You can talk about names, but it, you just mentioned it. it. Every year there's a couple guys. And most recently was Javelin, Gidry, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson started a little bit for you. Gidry really came on down the stretch when Brian Poole was banged up. Poole remains a free agent. Gidry will be in the mix to be your nickel this year. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about. So for me, and we talked, we touched upon this with DJ was the cornerback position. Who's going to step up at the cornerback position? Could be some of these young veterans, could be some rookies getting their chance here. You can talk about the undrafted free agents. I'm looking more at position groups um, as far as where is their opportunity, maybe. And the other guys last year, I think one guy made the 53 undraft as an undrafted free agent. That was Bryce Huff. Out of Memphis. Yep. And then the guys that you mentioned, Lamar Jackson, Javelin Gidry, both were practice squad players who got called up. Same thing with Lawrence Cager, mm-hmm. who was a popular undrafted yep. free agent at the time that he signed. And a couple of guys stand out. I spoke to Dane Brugler of The Athletic, and he gave me three names. He said Kenny Yaboa, yes. a tight end out of Ole Miss who went to Temple originally. He was going to commit to Baylor. And then Matt Rule ends up taking the Panthers job. 
opens back up and he goes to Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin there, he averaged 19.4 yards per reception down in Oxford, Mississippi, which is fourth among tight ends in FBS. And he, uh, he, Elijah Moore is probably giving him some field, right? Yeah. Taking right, some yeah, defenders I, with him. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I think Kenny Uboa, I mean, when you think about the tight ends, there's a lot of guys on the roster, mm. but Kenny Yaboa, the way Brugler was saying is like, if you have a role for him, he might, he might carve a path on a roster that way. Another guy extremely intriguing is Hamilcar Rashid Jr. Oregon state pass yep. rusher leads the nation in 2019 in tackles yep. for loss has 14 sacks. And Dane said, had he declared for the draft, I don't even know if he was eligible at the time, but had he gone to the NFL last year, you're probably looking at a mid round selection. And then he becomes an undrafted guy because he only has two tackles for loss and zero sacks this past season, which is just a wacky year. So those are two guys that definitely you should keep your eye on. The other one is Tristan Hodge, the BYU right guard. I was just going to mention that. Right, go ahead, go ahead, that take it from no, there. No, I was just saying Zach Wilson has a, a college teammate out here uh, this weekend. Uh, listen, but bottom line, these guys are just going to get their feet wet. It's not a traditional rookie minicamp. At least we have a rookie minicamp this right. year. Didn't have a rookie minicamp last year due to the pandemic, but these guys are going to be out there on the field, but it's separated as far as bigs have a session on the field, and then the skill position players will have a session on the field. It's just a start. They're getting their playbooks. We have our technical director, Matt Sickoff, pacing and looking inside the studio. I think we have to exit, though. All right, fine. Yeah. That, then we will exit. That is how we will exit on the official Jets podcast. We'll be back with some more draft next episode.